Okay, ready? Take what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a wheel. I want to know something she's on. I think about everyone you need. I'm holding it. Things are moving real now. I have you seen you wanting you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. And then I had a real interesting conversation with Nelly. And he was like, like when I lived in New York, I understand why you all rap like that. It's because that's the way life is. It's like it's mm. constantly happening. And he said, us outside of New York. We're driving at a very early age. We're not on the train. We're driving. We're rolling. So we make music to ride to in our cars, which doesn't call for that back to back to back to back to back. You know, like you take a buster, you know, versus a rapper today. Like he's getting a mile a minute in, whereas they're like, you know, just rolling over the beat. I think it's all a, a matter of preference. I still doesn't. I still don't think that's an excuse to say nothing. You know, you can find something to say. If you've loved hip hop for as long as I have, you know the name MC Light, one of the important figures in '80s hip hop. You remember Light as a Rock. You remember Ten Percent Dis. She was. Hard as hell, one of my favorite MCs from that early era. She's still out here doing big things. I'm so excited to have MC Light on Touré Show. It is so exciting to have you on the show because I have been a fan forever. I had your cassette of of uh, your first album when I was a teenager and I was mm. rocking it. And if I mm. told that kid that I was going to talk to you like this, he'd be like, what? Get out of here. Because I ran that cassette to the ground. Um, I love the sound right? of your voice. Oh, goodness. Torre, we've known each other for so long. Like, no, I know. But just this, just the sound of your, like, you, you have to be an MC, a vocal actor, and all those sort of things because you just have this amazing sounding voice. You know, this is not my voice, though. What do you mean? I'm joking. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> well, you know, I have learned how to use my voice as a rapper very early on in my career but like this is really my voice like to be able to just talk right here because the other voice calls for everything to be on mm. the diaphragm has to be on the vote you know everything and as a matter of fact any vocal coach that I've met with say that I speak lazily because I lean on my cords when I talk so if I were to not lean on my cords this is how I would sound but I don't know that, you know, entering the scene at 16 with this would have gotten me here. 
No, it leapt out of the speaker. Take me. I, I know we. I want to talk about Partners in Rhyme, your yeah. show right now, but I, I do want to go back to the beginning. How did this start for you as as an MC? Well, in school, in second, third grade, we were banging on the desk. I think uh, we might have been singing the message or uh, um, Sugar Hill Gang. You know, we were all together together in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in Brooklyn, um, PS 219, we were at lunch, like banging on desks and stuff. And um but I just remember when I heard Salt and Pepper is when it when it happened for me. Of course, Shy Rock, Funky Four Plus One More was the first one, and then Sequence I heard. But it was Salt and Pepper with the Showstoppers. When I heard that, I was like, "Oh, I understand where this can go now." Mm, you saw you saw the sort of professional potential of it all. No, I saw me having fun. And then it kind of went into that, you know. I don't think I really realized it was a profession until know, maybe ten years ago. <laughs> when I <laughs> did, when I didn't Jeez. stop, when I didn't stop, when I was twenty-seven, because I always told myself I was going to wait till I was twenty-seven, get married, have some kids, and that didn't happen. I was like, oh, okay, so I guess I'm really, I'm really in this thing. <laughs> Wait, did Roxanne Chante uh, inspire you too? Yeah. I mean, to see her like handle all of those guys, you know, with her answer uh, to the real Roxanne. Absolutely. I see some similarities. I, I feel like I see more similarities with her than with you and, and Salt and Peppa because you and, and Chante have really amazing sounding voices. And you guys are really in the pocket in a mm. really amazing way. And 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 no no shade of salt and pepper, huge fan of them. But just the way that you approached it to me as an MC was a little bit more like her, Shante. Oh, that's interesting. No, I mean I I studied salt and pepper. Like I knew their lyrics. Uh, George Lucian, Full Force's father, used to come to my house and practice with me, and I'd practice them. And then also, I am an undying fan of Melly Mel. You know, that mm-hmm. message, that song, The Message, influenced me to want to tell a story and to want to create something lyrically that would reflect what was actually happening around me. And I, I, had nev- I hadn't been to the Bronx when I heard the message. And so to hear his rendition of what was happening was amazing. And and then to see the visual with the video was like, oh my God, he was lying. Like it was rough. Yeah. There weren't that many women who were getting on at that time. So was there, how did you, how did you navigate that? Were people kind of making you feel like, what are you doing? Uh, no. If though, if they, I'm sure there were people around with that attitude, but the people that were in my insulated circle, there was no hesitation or doubt that was, uh, that was fed to me at all. And yes, it was Roxanne Shantae and it was Sweet Tea and it was Sparky D and, you know, it was all of these, these women that were on the mic and Blondie and Angie B, like all of those women, I'm sure I knew all of their lyrics. 
So I, I, my fabric is made of all of that, I'm sure. Sweet Tea had a, had a hit that I just It's my loved. beat. Oh, my it's God. It's my beat, huh? What? It's my beat. But, yeah, you, um, you, you were in the pocket on your – like, when you really got going – on on Lives of Rock or Paper Thin, um, you and, and and that really moved me. Talk about the finding that relationship to the beat and really nailing that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because that whole first album was already written. I think maybe one song that I did with Puba wasn't, but outside of that, all of the songs were in my composition book. So they okay. weren't they weren't created to the music. So having them fit the music was really miraculous. It was like and and it wasn't too much that had to be done with it. Although I remember times Milk and I going back and forth, do that again. Why? Because I just want you to do it different. What do you want me to do different? You know, like we would always have this thing going back and forth. Because for me, it's all about words. So if you use a specific word to direct me, then I'm going to really use that word. So don't use it figuratively, because literally, when you say more energy, I'm going to give it more energy. No, but not that. Not that. We need something up. Well, you got to tell me what that something else is. All of that to say, it was a match. It was a matchmaking process from the first day I met Everyone at First Party Music, I had my book. They said, open it. He clicked a button, played a beat, do something to that. And I'd do something to that. Okay, say a rhyme, say a rhyme. Okay, see if this beat goes with that. It, it was literally matchmaking. Interesting, because at that time, it was a lot of write in your composition book at home and then mm-hmm. go to the studio um, and, and, and fit it together. Now it's, it, the relationship is more organic. People are writing to a beat, but there was a lot of that of like trying to figure out, like, I already got this rhyme written and now I got to figure out how to make it fit, which is it's a challenge. that way for, for KRS one, you know, I have a group called almost September and we had him come to the studio and do, we did two songs together actually, but he has a book of stuff that he just keeps that he's ready for every studio he goes in. What you talking about? Boom. Got it. He's like a, like a glossary of, of raps for it with any topic ready to go. And so that was, um, that's, that's the joy. It doesn't matter. You know, I think Tupac wrote all of his stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting too, because he once said when he writes without music it's introspective. When he writes with music, it's influenced by what the music is doing. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting way. I would challenge any MC who's accustomed to uh, one way of doing it to try it a different way. You mentioned Milk, and I thought that. They audio too, top villain. I thought they were, or one of them was your brother. But in researching this, I said, no, they're not your blood brothers. They're yeah. Blood I brothers. mean, well, they were both. Um, they because of the first part of music family and Nat Robinson taking me on. 
literally becoming my dad out on the road, keeping me safe. Um, those were his sons. And so they enveloped me as a family member. So the reason why you would think that is because that's what we told everyone is, you know, they're my brothers. Um, they, they kept me safe. I mean, you can imagine 16, 17 on the road, you know, with the likes of everyone trying to get at MC light. <laughs> was it dangerous? Um, it was dangerous in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, um, mostly just wanting to keep me out of harm's way. They took on, um, the title of big brother, both of them, milk and giz. Not, but not actually, not actually, but all this time I thought they were your real brothers, but you wanted people to think. Yeah. Yeah. You're not thinking that out of nowhere. Like we told people we are the first party music family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did the name MC light come up? Well, light was the name that I entered into the studio with, you know, and I got that from the dictionary of thoughts. It was everything positive that, that was defined, uh, the word light, it was a bunch of different um, philosophers that had their own take on what light truly was. So I took that, I changed the spelling, I went into the studio, I did a couple of um, songs. And then when I saw the record, when I saw I Crammed Understand You, it said MC in front of light. And I asked, I was like, what is that about? And it said, oh, well, you needed a title. And we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to name you Queen Light or Lady Light or, you know, anything that had been used. And you're an MC. So we went with MC Light. And of course, you know, this was before Queen Latifah. But I guess they knew that, you know, Queen was a name that would make sense for for uh, an artist to have as it relates to a hip hop artist. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. 
Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. You always had really precise diction. And the way you really pronounced the words was really sharp. And I, I feel like I appreciated that. And that was really a part of your style that really stood out. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, my mom studied to be a school teacher. And that was something that she was a stickler for. Uh, writing essays and pronunciation, enunciation was extremely important. Vocabulary. Very important. I I always understood. I understood everything that you were saying, right? We didn't know it, I, there were songs that I liked from other people that I didn't understand all the words, but I still rocked with them. Yeah. But with yeah. light, I understood. I understood exactly what she's saying because the pronunciation is really sharp. That's interesting because there are some songs that I know. You know, you know it up until a certain point, and it's like yeah. the whole crowd at that point just goes, eh, and then they hop back on with another line that they. They're clear about what's being said. There was a there was a while in the 80s when there's a large group of people who felt like you were the best female MC in the game. Um, how did you feel about people saying that? Um, I guess at that point I was cool. <laughs> you know, who doesn't want to be the best? It, it definitely comes with a lot of responsibility because then you don't want to let anybody down if you come with a record that isn't as uh, acceptable or accessible as the prior song. But yeah, th- that's the aim. As, a, as an MC, if you can't say you're the best, then you can kind of sit down. Now you can say, well, I may not be the best, but I have a point of view. Right. But right. still, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> Everybody says they're the best. Right. You, know, you, you just have to say that. Yeah. When you started, you were right at that point when, like, I think before you, there was no expectation of a career. You put out an album, maybe two, go on a tour, maybe two, but you didn't, didn't look at it as like a, you know, and then like after you blew up, it became a little bit more common to have, you know, like rush and these tours and management and think about how do we create an image and get on MTV. And, and you entered right at that point when it was sort of growing from, this is just a thing and it's very regional to then it became much more of a national thing. Um, And I feel like you kind of benefited from that. Did you sort of see that sort of change happening as you were going through not at all. Um, it's it's even interesting to me as you say it, because there are certain people who benefit from cultural shifts. And with Video Music Box, 
and Yo MTV Raps, it by far helped in the mission of getting the name MC Light out there that, Mm -hmm. you know, some who came before me may not have benefited from uh, to the degree that I had. So, yeah, it uh, no. When I was in it, I had no idea. It was like, oh, okay, this is this is just something we're doing. And what I will say to your your last statement is. I was in it not recognizing that it could be a career, but I knew I didn't want it to stop. And I knew I wanted to do more. You know, I knew I wanted to go on that tour and tour overseas. And, you know, quite frankly, making the move from William Morris to an all performance agency it was cemented that that was the move that I was making. So Mm. while others had begun TV and movies, I was still out on the road touring because I didn't have an agency at that point handling those theatrics, nor did I care to. I was too busy out on the road. So you enjoy the road. um, I did then. And I mean, Hence, now I've stopped long enough to realize, oh, I want to do something else. And here I am 20 years later with a sitcom after all of my, you know, peers have been there, done that. Here I am, you know, at least from this standpoint, being able to be an executive producer, a co-creator, a co-writer and act in it. It makes sense that I would wait 20 years later. Well, tell me about partners in rhyme because you're kind of you're you're playing yourself for the most part, right? Um, I'm playing what she knows. So what mm-hmm. I know, she knows. Um, however, her the way she reacts to things is a bit different from the way I would. Um, so how is she different than you? Oh goodness! Well, she's much more uh, tolerating of circumstances. Uh, me, I'll just walk away. Um, and I would say, you know, in, in times like this, I'm talking to Torre, I am the best of a communicator, but not always in life can I communicate what I'm feeling at that specific moment, you know? Um, and although I like for people to get along and a circumstance to be, um, very, uh, easy, I'm not always the one to do it. And I think in this show, Lana is always the one. Well, no, that's not true because she does rely on her brother and Vicky to sometimes point her in the right direction to make things right. Um, But there are several ways that I would handle things that are different from this particular character. Are you, as an executive producer, are you able to throw out ideas and suggest directions and look at scripts and say, no, like it would go like this. We should handle it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, well, uh, Bentley and I wrote the first episode. So in writing the first episode, you're setting the tone, you're naming the characters, you're, you're pretty much shaping the characters, how you would like them. Then we get into a room of writers for the rest of the episodes, but we're also saying this, these are the outlines. This is what we want to see happen with all these characters. Absolutely. I don't think, um, I don't think I would have been this excited to be involved 
if I didn't have my hand all over it, the music, the set design, the, the wardrobe, like just, um, everything, hand picking the hairstylist and the makeup people and, you know, giving opportunities to those who I've worked with in the past and wanted to work with them again, but didn't know how or where, or, and this was it. This, this is the time now that I can utilize the people that, that I love and, and give new people an opportunity as well. What do you love about acting? I get to be somebody else and paint a picture create a facade. Um, With this, I like it because literally through lighting, you can change the way someone feels Um, through a story and adversity and then working through the issue. You can somehow send a message out for people to be compassionate towards other people's differences Mm. And though Lana and Luscious are from two different times, uh, two different uh, generations, they're still able to find an ear and a willingness to listen to one another to work out mm. their differences. I see you. I like that you said that you get to be another person. Is MC Light? a different person than you really are? Like if I, if I know you as a musician and then I got to hang out with you, you know, like away from all that, would I say like, Oh, this is, this is a different person than I'm encountering on the mic. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, it it would depend on what music you're listening to in terms of year. Uh, you know, much of my music today, you'll say, Oh, that's the same person. But yeah, there's an, a substantial amount of growth that has happened between then and now. Um, You know, for the most part, I'm the same, but there are little idiosyncrasies that you would, you just wouldn't know because we're, you know, if you were my friend, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's light. But it might seem foreign, the other genres of music that I listen to, um, you know, just my pastime, I bowl, I golf, I play pool, I like Sudoku, um, I I like jigsaw puzzles, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's just the the jigsaw puzzle that makes up a person. Wait, what did, what music do you like that you would think would surprise us? Oh my God. Uh, soft rock. I mean, I've listened to soft rock since I was a kid and Giz and I, Carol King, uh, James Taylor, Neil Diamond. Love. Uh, I mean, I, I thought Kenny Rogers was regular. I didn't even know he was country. I didn't know that was country music. Um, Love the gambler. Ellen Reddy. I listen. Giz and I would get into arguments because he'd get in my car, in my Jetta, and I'd be playing Christopher Cross or some shit. And he'd be like, what What is this? You're hip hop. Stop listening to this. It's going to make you soft. You need to, you know. Case in point, there are some of my songs I've even used a Dionne Warwick lyric or, you know. And I think it's the same for KRS-One. Like, 
We'll take the wackest song and make it. He was using the Beatles and, and, you know, melodies from all types of genres. So yeah, that might surprise them. Well, this is part of the beauty of hip hop that, that we can take anything and Mm -hmm. make it hip hop, be it rock or the Doobie Brothers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you sample it and loop it and do the right things to it, now it's hip hop. And you know, we enjoy going back as listeners going back and go, oh, listen to this jazz sample, this blues sample, this soft rock sample that she or he made into this beat. Right. And like, I, I didn't even expect this super soft jazz record from 1953 to rock so hard. If you took the right part and sampled it just properly and looped it up. Right. No, it's um, it's interesting even now when you when you talk to. Uh, today's listeners of hip hop and you say, oh, but that came from, you know, a record that was just out in the 90s. Mm. You're explaining something, you know, from the whole bad boy life. And that was out in the 80s. You know, you can tag it back to something and it just opens up their eyes. It's beautiful to be able to teach things of that nature. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I I do feel old listening to modern hip hop when I'm like, oh, you're taking off of NWA. Are you pulled (laughs) off of that that thing that I listened to in the 90s? And they think it's new and fresh. And I'm like, no, you're just, you know, so now we're the old heads of like, that's just... The Supreme, right? Our parents were like, that's not new. And now we're like, that's not new. No, not whatsoever. But it's still it's still fun for me. Excuse me. And I guess depending on how you impart that knowledge, like, sure. oh, did you know? You know, you got to be diplomatic. Did you know that that kick right there comes from Tribe Called Quest and Tribe Called Quest got it from there? And, you know, they're more apt to listen. Depending my kids, on delivery. My kids like Jaden Smith. 
Yeah. And I think they kind of knew that his dad was an actor, but they didn't weren't really check it for him. So he's an, he was an MC, And they're like, oh, really? And I played yeah. Parents Don't Understand. We got through about two verses. And they're like, this song is stupid. Can we go back to Jaden? <laughs> like, come on. Like, like, that was cute. Like, let's go back. They don't, they don't get it. But do you it's- feel, do you still love hip-hop like modern hip-hop do you feel as connected to it as you did you know like 80s 90s when i mean i'm sure you were a huge fan as well as a creator Mm -hmm. um i feel like a lot of the modern stuff feels it's it feels disconnected to me versus the stuff that i loved well you know as a dj i've learned to find something to like about a lot of music uh, because, you know, if I'm going to play and be current, then I've got to know, I've got to be able to connect with something about the song. Because to play a song I'm not connected with, people will know. I won't even know what to mix that thing with. You know, it's like, it's just this anomaly standing out on its own. But um, I find a lot of the music out that there are special things about it just as in yesteryear, did I love every hip hop song that came out in the late eighties no. and nineties? No, but there were songs that stuck out. There was something yeah. about that song that made it, you know, like Jaquan one in comes the two to the three. And, you know, yeah, he took that from the doc, right. Um, funky enough. We're getting funky. We're getting funky, but he still did it in a way that made it really interesting to me. Just as in, you know, I talk about Megan's plan B. That sounds like hip hop to me. You know, she's putting a dude in order. She's checking them and, she, and she's sliding over that beat. She's using a um, a voice that I don't know that I've heard from her on every song. So mm. she, she kind of like channeled into some real like authentic, um, what I call street kind of hip hop. But yeah, I I get into the music. I get into Lil Baby. I got yeah. into Suge, which was, you know, the baby song. Uh, that voice. I I can get into Rick Ross. Um I could get into Drake and Meek Mill and um you know, I'm still I'm still a fan of hip hop. I pick and choose what I what I really am drawn to uh, with a, with a different kind of ear, but it's yeah. still some solid stuff out there. I like a lot of those artists you, you mentioned, and there's definitely Drake songs and Ross songs that I like. I do feel like the generation that we come from eighties, nineties, there was much more of a focus on lyrics and verses and making your verses great and i feel like modern the attention to verses and 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 lyrics and double entendres and word choice and these sort of mc things is lesser right and i feel like before 2000 the music was more dense with words and now there's more space so, which is why they do so many ad libs because there's so much space. You know what I mean? In, you know in the so, song. What's so funny about that is I remember 
writing my first rhyme for Cold Rocker Party and Mace was there. And he was sitting in the back of the room and he was like, like that line that you're saying right there, let it breathe after that. Come, come in, come in after the beat drops. Let that breathe right there. And I said, oh, okay. And it was a whole new way of looking at delivery for me. And then I had a real interesting conversation with Nelly. And he was like, like when I lived in New York, I understand why you all rap like that. It's because that's the way life is. It's it's Mm. constantly happening. And he said, us outside of New York, we're driving at a very early age. We're not on the train. We're driving. We're rolling. So we make music to ride to in our cars, which doesn't Mm. call for that back to back to back to back to back. You know, like you take a buster, you know, versus a rapper today, like he's getting a mile a minute in, whereas they're like, you know, just rolling over the beat. I think it's all a, a matter of preference. I still doesn't. I still don't think that's an excuse to say nothing. You know, you can find something to say. And that's a really interesting and important point that that there is a freneticness to New York, and especially in the eighties and nineties, that was reflected in the music that made people want to rap quickly. And life in the South. And in definitely in the South and the Midwest mm-hmm. proceeds at a slower pace. It's more cars versus subways and walking. Um, so yeah, it's like, what are you making the music for? Yeah. You know, some, some people put, when we were making music, when we went in that studio, we just did it. We didn't say this is for the club this is for radio. You know, there wasn't this delineation as to where this music could go. We just made it because we loved it. Um, and as a matter of fact, though that music wasn't even EQ'd for the club. Like if mm. you hear stuff that that's played right behind something that came in the late 90s, the whole system te- technologically as to how they mixed a record is completely different, mixed and mastered. And it sounds like, you know, a thousand times better than what we did, you know, perhaps back in the eighties. But the the truth is now they're making music for a reason. So with Nelly, it was like, we're making, we're making music for people to roll to in their cars. Whereas in New York, it became we're making music for the club or we're making radio. We're making music for Funkmaster Flex so that he could throw bombs all over. So it has to be big. And now a lot of music to me, it sounds like a horror film. Like it sounds so mean and angry, the, the production of it. <sighs> you know, it just sounds like battlefield music. A lot of the music from that 80s period, especially before you got on, um, had an echoey sound because you guys weren't in clubs or you, you, you weren't in clubs. You were in like dance halls, which were not meant like because hip hop couldn't get into clubs in the early 80s. So you're in dance halls, which were not sonically built. So the sound was echoey, right. but then the records would would echo that sound. Right. So it, yeah, I don't think they had quite figured out how to really 
like mix and master hip hop yet. Or they just didn't have the the technology to do it the way that it's being done now. So for a lot of your career, when you're blowing up, New York was the Mecca, the center. It was all about New York, right? And throughout your career, we've seen L.A., Atlanta, you know, blowing up. I think a lot of people would say Atlanta is now the center of hip hop and they're making a lot more dope records. New York has a lot of hot artists right now, but it's been a long time. What do you think about that as a New Yorker? What do you think about that, about New York sort of losing its space, its primacy in this culture? Um, I tell you what, I don't think much about that at all. What I do think about is these young men losing their lives, right? Mm. Well, you know, Pop Smoke is a reflection of New York. He was on the rise. He was, uh, you know, about to do some really huge things and make some big strides for himself, for his community, for his family, but for you know, the tri-state area, that would have been a great win. And then we've got young Dolph and then we've got PMB and then we've got, and then we've got, and then we've got, and it's just, you know, to me, I, I'm, I'm not so much about um, what we're going to do regionally to stay up to par or to this rat race that really we impose upon ourselves. I just want to see us live. I just want to see us live. You know, I am thankful that, you know, there's a whole lot of folks that I came up with that we're still in it, right? We're still in it. We're moving. You're able to see what we're like grown. We'll never see a grown and mature Tupac or or Biggie, you know? And then, I mean, it's already with our health in terms of biz and DMX and violence shouldn't be something that we should be concerned with. Not in hip hop, not period, not period, let alone, you know, hip hop, but I'm just talking about our communities at large. So I just, I have my mind on a bigger, a bigger piece, a bigger play. You know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately as well. It's like, what, once a month, there's somebody that we're mourning and I am, I am numb from the number of hip hop deaths that we've been processing Yeah, going back to the, the eighties through to now it's been this constant sort of thing. And yeah, you sort of started to identify it. There's two sort of things happening of generally the younger brothers getting shot and killed. You talk about, you know, Mm-hmm. Nipsey and P and B, and then there's some people who are relatively older, but not old. When right. you talk about DMX, Pun, mm-hmm. uh, Biz, who's a friend of ours, um, them passing away not from violence, but from 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 natural causes, from disease, mm-hmm. um, which not old enough to say goodbye by right. any dying early, which is also you know very painful for us to go through. Um, it's a lot. I mean, you, you've lost a lot of friends in the last many years. Yeah. Yeah, I have. It's, um, you know, from heavy D it's just, uh, it's so many other things that 
that we're facing, we should not be at war with one another. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems that the issues of the black community, like, I don't think there's anything pathological in hip hop itself. I think the issues that are going on in the black community mm-hmm. are bleeding into hip hop. So yeah. our, the, the violence and gun issues that exist in our communities for yeah. many reasons, mm-hmm. poverty, you know, uh, over-policing, all these sort of things, you know, mass incarceration, that's catching some people. Mm-hmm. And then our issues with our health, which are multi-generational, mm-hmm. um, that's catching up with some people. And, it, it, you know, it's just like there's sort of this constant thing. I mean, I'm like, it's like a new mural being created every month. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, um, it's priorities, You know, I think it's not until you've, especially someone young coming into the music industry, it's not until you travel where one of two things can happen. You can become uh, aware of the poverty that exists on every plane, (laughs) every piece of land. and want to do something about it and want to help, or you become intoxicated with your level of success and nothing matters. And you're willing to sacrifice everything that you know and are to have more of that. So I can only hope that more young artists that come into this business are moved by the atrocities that happen everywhere and want to do something about it. Is there one of the um, hip hop deaths that hurt you more than some of the others that really stand out to you emotionally? Um, I think, you know, there, there are two, one being heavy D because we had no idea. It just came from out of nowhere. Biz is my heart. That's my big brother. He had been ill for a year prior to leaving us. So I would say, have to say heavy as it relates to violence um, outside of Scott LaRock and us all coming together for self-destruction, trying to do something meaningful for our community. I would have to say Nipsey because he was on his way. He was on his way to do something magical and miraculous for his community. And he was cut short before any of that could come to fruition. Now, can I say Tupac? Can I say Big? You know, like it's so many of them that hurt. They all hurt. And, And I hear you when you say you've become numb. It's very easy to become numb in this climate of people being knocked off as if life, as if life doesn't matter. Um, Bismarck, got to me um, because I had, I had seen him several times because my kids were into Yo Gabba Gabba. Mm. So we're going to the Yo Gabba Gabba shows Mm. over and over. Mm. And, you know, I'd see him backstage and we'd chat it up. I remember trying to my, you know, he was like trying to be nice to my daughter when she was real little, like three or four. 
And I'm like, take a picture with Biz. This is going to be great. And she was like, no. no. <laughs> and, you know, little kids, they pick and choose who they want to fuck yeah, with. And, and they're really like, cool there. No. And I'm like, he's great. He's lovely. It's my man. And she's like, uh-huh. no, but like, and he handled it like a champ of mm-hmm. that. She was like, no, but still all love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had just developed from, you know, local MC to national MC to then having another career as like a DJ and becoming this sort of personality who yeah. was beyond hip hop and sort of a, 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 I want to say almost like a mascot for hip hop who just people were like, we just love him. He's just, you know, fun. And we smile when we see him. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, well, that's a hurt. beautiful spirit. He, he and Cool V, uh, his partner, they gave me my first library as a DJ. Biz convinced oh, wow. me that I could be a DJ. And I told him, I don't do all of that. He said, like, you have um, such a wealth of knowledge as it relates to music. People would just want to hear you curate a night of music. And I said, okay. And so he and I would have those talks much like we did earlier where we're going back and forth with music that may not necessarily fit in the hip hop genre. And so he, re- he we had a mutual respect for our musical knowledge and and making that available to people who come out to to see us play. You know, when 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 I listen to a DJ and DJs are incredibly important within hip hop culture, I personally full respect for the transformer scratch and all those sort of things. But I'm like, I don't really want to hear that. I want to hear mixing and blending, keep me on beat going from jam to jam to jam, curating great records. So I'm like, this is fun. You know, I don't need to see you spin behind your back and like triple scratch and like scratch DJ scratch. (laughs) Keep the party flowing and I will love you. And If you're like, that's what I'm about, and you're just going to dance at a light party, I'm like, that's all I want. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. And, you know, people who haven't seen those tricks, they love it. They see the tricks. And then when you get older and you don't feel like you like getting on the floor, getting off the floor, getting on the floor, getting off the floor, you really want something that's seamless that you can have a, a good time to and sing along to. And so that's me. Be a great DJ, I don't have to change my dancing as she flows through four, five, six songs, right? right. If if I have to now I have to change my dance because she changed the <laughs> BPM, or BPM or whatever, I'm like, right. <sighs> like yeah. that's a, now I want to look at this like, what are you, what are you doing right now? Right. Like I had my flow and you, you made me change like, damn. And as right? a DJ, you hate that feeling that people are looking at you like, what did you just do? You know, you come out of a song right before the escalation. Like there's certain things that we who have lived life, we know we got to make it to the bridge of a particular right. song. You cannot cut that song before you get to this bridge. And uh, it's so funny. I was DJing in Vegas one time and something crazy happened to my computer. So I had to I had to DJ off of the opening DJ's laptop. Okay. And this dude did not have sucker MCs. He had every version of sucker MCs, but it wasn't the original version of sucker. It was just like, oh my God, it was like the house version of sucker MCs. I'm like, oh my God, 
how am I going to make it through this night playing these versions that wait you did you DJed Michael Jordan's second wedding right I did when he was a superstar right I mean like what was that like because I'm sure it was star studded super expensive oh, everything icy it was yeah, it was something. I think it was the biggest tent that had ever been created because it all took place in a tent and then it opened at a certain time at the reception. The tent opened and you could see the stars. They looked close enough that you could touch them. It was it was beautiful. A wonderful, I mean- a wonderful piece of history that I'll always uh, remember. And what, what, what was the key moment you remember from that? Because I know that, you know, that group, that they, they party. Dance yeah. floor was rocking and... Yeah. Um, I want to say, was it Suave Mente, I think, had just okay. come out. Okay. And at the same time... Uh, Black Eyed Peas was hitting it with the boom, boom, pow, boom, boom, pow. You know, I remember those high energy moments just looking out and seeing everybody just in a world of dance. And then once again, when that top popped back off of that tent and it let the outside in and the inside out, it it was just one of those God moments. Like, I am in the right place at the right time. Thank you, God. Was there a celebrity that you saw that night that you were like, I just met, so I just spoke to so-and-so, like, damn. Oh, man. Uh, I don't, you know what? I feel like I knew everybody there. Okay. I, I can't think of one person that I didn't know prior to. Because people don't realize stars can get starstruck as well. You, you just because you've been a star for a long time, don't mean you aren't going to meet somebody like, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Now, if you ask me, you know, who would that be? Um, who would that be? I mean, I guess I feel that way anytime I see Michelle Obama. Mm. Still just in awe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd probably leave it at yeah. that. Yeah, no, she's the coolest. So okay, top five MCs. What's your list? Uh, KRS One. Number one all time KRS. Yeah, I mean, and these are in no particular order. It's okay, KRS okay. Um, I'm going to say some names that are just for me, what they meant to me at a certain point in my life that will forever stay. Rock him. Yes. KRS one. Jay-Z. Yes. J. Cole. Okay. And Tupac. Okay. Okay. This great list. Might be a different day. Rakim to me is a really incredibly important figure 
I feel like he's the difference between the great early era that we talked about, Melly Mel and folks like that, who were fantastic, but quite often uh, monosyllabic and rhyming at the end of the line. And Rakim comes along, polysyllabic, internal rhymes, very philosophical. And I feel like he is the beginning of the way that everybody after him Mm. Rhymes. He he's the birth of the modern MC. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an interesting um, that's an interesting take. Yeah. Okay. I'm um, I'm completely with you on that. I know that uh, Eric B for president. The first mm. time I heard it, it caused me to stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> it was it Hell was yeah. the it was the epitome of anything I had ever heard before as it related to hip hop. I was like, what else can we do? And then I heard the show and then I was like, Oh, shit, what else can we do? You know? So everybody was pushing, pushing the bar. I was talking to um, Eric and Ra about, um, about paid in full. And I was like, why is it one verse? And Rakim said, uh, you know, I did the verse. I went in the, I went in the control room and everyone was like, that was great. Leave it. And I was like, that story don't make no sense. Like you were listening to, he never talked about anybody else who he listened to creatively. He was like, I'm the smartest person I knew. I kept my own counsel. He smoked a lot of weed. So his memory Uh was not like, And then I spoke to Eric and he's like, no, not at all. Eric, Eric was the adult and Rakim was still, he had a job. Rakim was still in high school. Eric did not smoke weed or drink. Mm -hmm. He bought the studio for a week and every night that week they recorded. So they were recording like every till like 6am every night. Mm -hmm. So they really weren't sleeping that much. This was the last night. Oh. Rakim recorded one verse mm-hmm. and then he went in the control room and he fell asleep. And I'm like, oh. we could not wake him up. It was sixth night, seventh night of not really sleeping. We couldn't wake him up. So right. we went, so he just recorded his talking part, but he was half asleep too. And it always stuck out to me, he makes mistakes in the talking part, right? Like he says little things wrong. I was like, yeah. what? Why did he leave that? Because because we didn't have any more time. Right. That, that was the time that we were able to afford. And then we gave it to the label and they were like, we love it, put it out. And then it's too late. But like, right. like he, I he, think so which, which story makes more sense to you? Eric's story makes oh. perfect sense, okay. right? Like the teenager fell asleep after six nights of having no sleep. And we, right. that was all the money we had. That's funny. That's, I um, mean, that's what you gotta love. You gotta love hip hop. And it's history. Classic, classic hip hop. Yeah. Classic hip hop. And sharing stories like that is nothing like it. Now, now you don't have a record deal now, do you? Uh, I do. I mean, I'm on my own. <laughs> I'm you, on my own label. Yeah, okay. and and I do um, I do stuff with Warren Campbell and My Block Records. Whenever I want to put something out, I call him up and say. Let's do something. Or just recently, he sent me uh, a song that he said he dreamt about for me. 
He wrote the hook to it. He gave it to me. I think we're scheduled to go in the end of this month to do it. But, you know, the last record I did was with my block records. It's called Well, Well, Well. It's on every platform. And so it's all about me doing the music that I love. And I have an MC Light app. I put it on the app. The real fans get to it. And that's what matters to me. Because one of the moments I watched from Partners in Rhyme, you were having a conversation with the label head where she was politely dropping you. Mm-hmm. And you're not really getting it. And you're like, so what does that mean? She's like, so when are we going to get to more records? It's like, well, you're going to have the opportunity to do whatever you want. Like, what does that mean? Like, you're going to be independent. Your name and your music will revert back to you. Uh-huh. And you're not really getting And I'm kind of like, did that moment happen to you in reality of like, somebody's like, so Love you, legend, respect, but we're going to go in another direction. No, lucky for me, I did not have a moment like that. I think it would have crushed me. Um, uh, No, I didn't have a moment like that. But what I did realize is that's what was happening inadvertently in terms Mm. of a new regime had come on the scene when uh when Lauren came on the scene she was singing she was emceeing she was the metamorphosis of everything that had come before and she well, was she had an acting career before she was hot as a rapper singer. Yeah, no we did a play together we yeah we did a play together an off broadway play together and she was also in a soap opera at the same time we were doing that play. And then right. she came and she did Poor Georgie. She This was before. Now, after while we were doing the play, Wyclef said, we have a group. It's called the Fugees. And I was like, oh, word, what y'all do? Yeah, we got another member. He's in that, you know, because Wyclef and Lauren were in the play. And so I remember... As an artist slash manager, I had Lynn Q sign to Rough. Uh, I'm sorry, my mother needs her dog. <laughs> yes, go walkie, go walkie, boy. Um, so um, yes, I had them on this. I had Lynn Q on the same label that they were on. Uh, Chris Schwartz out of Philly. And which was all signed through Sony. So when they started their mission of making music as the Fugees, we would often spend a lot of time together at Sony. And they had the same product manager, uh, Thais Harris, as a matter of fact. So um, when Lauren came out as a solo artist, it was very clear it was a tide change. Just like we spoke about, you know, someone that puts something out that causes a shift culturally in mm-hmm. music. And um, I don't think until now are we seeing another shift take place. But uh, yeah, for me, it was... It was... Um, not someone saying it, but me feeling it like, okay, mm. it's time to start doing some other 
some other things. And I remember being in the studio with a guy and he, I was complaining. He was a young engineer. I was complaining about where hip hop was, what people were saying. And he was like, oh, so why don't you just stop? And I was like, excuse me? Mm. Like, yeah, if you don't like it anymore, you can always stop. And right then I was like, oh, he's kidding me. And I said, at that point, I have to be the change I want to see. And therein came uh, the Wonder Years that I did with uh, Premiere. And it's so funny being caught up in the web. That was the first time he and I had ever worked together because the A&R people that I worked with at the label didn't want to pay Premier what he was worth back in the day. They were like, he, we, we can't pay him that much money. He's just going to sample a record. And, and I'm like, are you kidding? This is DJ Premier. But anyway, I finally got a chance to work with him as an independent artist. You remind me of something that Talib Kweli once told me that that rappers don't retire. You get retired by the game and sort of like this. Yes, the system. And you sort of and as you're saying, like you didn't get dropped, but you kind of realized Things are going differently than where I want to be as an artist and I need to develop. Well, there's there's still a system behind that. So, okay, I left my record label of 13 years to go to Will Smith's record label. Will Smith at the time was signed with Interscope, his whole enterprise. For one reason or another, he and Jimmy Iovine, Steve Stout, some sort of disagreement the label then at that point was dropped. Then the label was looking to secure new distribution. However, Will was in the middle of making Ali. So it was a a tug of war for him, I'm sure, music being his first love, but now you're trying to get an Oscar. So you've got to really, you've got to stop, drop, and pay attention to what it is that you're doing. And, and, Furthermore, it was not in the interest of his management to try to pull him out of acting to do some music stuff. So at that point, everyone on a record label sort of was like, "Okay, what do we do next? And I I said to them, you know what, I'd like to be able to take the music that I have and do something with it. They said, "Okay," you know, it wasn't a big to do. And that's when I really moved forward as an independent artist. But you I mean. You, you. I mean, there, there's a time when you felt like I, I got to develop and grow another direction. I got to bring more acting into my life. I got to bring more executive producing into my life. It's hard to make it as an elder, let's say an elder statesman, <laughs> as a Gen Xer in hip hop, right? Right. And like, we gotta, we gotta, we, you know, we gotta grow and you see, you know, Latifah and Will and uh, Ice-T and others of your peers have grown into this sort of uh, uh, visual realm and, and, and so have you, right. And you gotta, you gotta grow your career another, cause you can't, you can't be on the mic forever. Um, and I don't think anyone really wants to be, uh, not forever. You, you want to be able to diversify and very early on in my career, when I was with Nat Robinson with management, he said, we will make you a celebrity name without the need of a hit record. 
And so it's, so it's it's always been in my interest to act, to do voiceover and, you know, climb out of the box of just being a hip hop artist, even though for some that is enough. And and some long for nothing else but to perform and and they don't have their sights on other things. But I you've and many been, others do. You've been at it for so long and you are a celebrity beyond any specific record. The image remains pristine. Mm-hmm. It's about quality. It's about character. It's about like, you know, just being a good person and having a great voice. And, you know, I can't think of anybody who'd be like, I don't know her. I don't like her. Like, you know, just like mm-hmm. everyone likes her. Everyone knows her. Everyone respects her. And it's like, it's, it's all love for her. Thanks. <laughs> Look, that's all I can say is thank you. You know, it's been a um, it's been a pleasure coming up in this game and the ups, the downs, everything is all for a, a greater purpose. And so for me now that I'm in a position to actually give back and send people to school, I'm living full circle. Every the whole name light. Now there is reason behind the name light. That's our show. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Ford. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Karp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. Shut up.